Thank you, Peggy. Good morning, church. Thank you. <laughs> My wife enjoys that. She says, no one ever says good morning to anyone else, just you. So I feel the love, feel the love. So there are several times in my life that God has used that last song to reorient my heart around him. In Christ alone, my hope is found. So many of you guys know that my friend and pastor, mentor, father figure died. And uh, the first day that we came to the church, we sang that song, and he was just in the back. Just praising God and singing it loudly and pumping his fists. That man loved Jesus. Because he loved Jesus exclusively, he now gets to be with him permanently. So, worship team, I just thank you for leading us in that song. As blessed me and my family. All right, I'm good now. Okay. Let, yeah, let's get started. So Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God finishes everything and says, It was very good. Anyone here watch the news? Read the paper? No? No? How about scroll through Facebook this morning? You don't have to look far to realize our world is broken. In Illinois, or Illinois, depending on how you say it, on Friday, a man walked into his ex-employer and killed five people and injured several others. In Atlanta, earlier this month, the FBI reported that 169 people were arrested for human trafficking in the days leading up to the Super Bowl. New York recently celebrated passing a law that allows for the murder of the unborn right up to birth. Investigate reports from the Houston Chronicle have documented two decades of sexual abuse and cover-up in Southern Baptist churches. Even our local paper reported that Oregon has the highest percentage of homeless families and children in our nation. On Facebook, 
a buddy of mine just changed his status from married to divorce. After several years of infidelity, his marriage has ended. His family is broken. Another friend posted an update on his 16-year-old daughter's cancer. It's aggressive and a heartbreaking battle to fight. Death, divorce, abuse, racism, hunger, murder, pain, cancer, brokenness. Does this look very good to you? Our world is broken. Our lives are broken. So how do we get from Genesis 1.31 to this? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. If you're using a Bible from the pew, it's on page 2. <laughs> I know, we're making some headway here. We're on page 2. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, refers to this chapter of Genesis as the first gospel sermon that was ever delivered on the face of this earth. He says, There lie within it, as an oak lies within an acorn, all the great truths which make up the gospel of Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we have your word open in front of us. Would you open our hearts as well? Would you help us to see the great truths which make up the gospel of Christ as is presented in your holy word? Holy Spirit, would you act in this room? I am just a broken man, and my words possess no power. But God, your word is alive and active. Would you bless the reading and the preaching of it? In the name of Jesus, amen. Verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, 
The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not to eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plant of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife Eve, because she was mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. We're going to look at this passage in three sections today for you note takers. And there'll be little sub points in there too. So it's going to be rebellion, result, and reconciliation. First, rebellion. Let's back up to Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So God created this beautiful garden and calls it Eden, which means delight. And the Greek translation of it is paradisus. If you don't believe me, you're probably right. Because I don't speak Greek, but this is where we give the English word paradise. Then he takes the man that he made from his own image and the woman that he made out of the man, and he places them in paradise. He gives them dominion over the land and animals. He gives them good work to do and tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Then he hangs out with them. They get to enjoy unhindered fellowship with God. Then God gives Adam one rule, one boundary. Don't eat from this one tree. He even gives them the reason. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Being a dad, there are times when I tell my kids not to do something. And that's good enough. I say, don't hit your sister. I don't need to give them a reason. I am dad. I love them. I'm responsible for them, 
and for caring for them because I said so is a valid enough reason. They should trust me in what I ask because I am their father and I love them. We should trust God in what he commands. He's our father. He loves his children. Reason or not, because God said so, is good enough. But God gives Adam and Eve the reason he commands them not to eat from the tree. It will result in their death. They had all the motivation in the world to trust God. He created them, gave them all these good things, and placed them in paradise. But then, chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent enters. And this just isn't any serpent. He's crafty. He asks Eve, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice Eve's response. God said we can eat from all the trees in the garden, except this one. And then she adds on to God's command by saying, Neither shall we touch it, lest we die. The enemy sees his opportunity, and he goes in for the kill. First, he plants doubt. You will not surely die. We believe this lie, don't we? The consequences of rebellion are not as bad as God said. You shall not surely die. Sin won't surely destroy me. But church, rebellion against God, being separated from God, will kill you. It will shrivel your soul. It will eat you alive. And the enemy says, really? Will it? Then he points out the attractiveness of the sin. Eat this and you will be like God. Sin always starts out as attractive. So Eve talks herself into it. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And just like that, even Adam, who was standing right there with her, and we'll come back to him in a minute. Oh, Adam. Just like that, they rebel against their creator. Result. The result of rebellion against God is death. Because God is holy, perfect, and just. He must punish sin. The result or punishment for sin is death. There are four results of rebellion I want to point out in this passage. So these are the four subpoints for you note takers. Number one, rebellion brings internal brokenness. A few verses ago, Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Sin brings shame. In verse seven, they realize their nakedness. They see themselves in shameful light for the first time, and they try to cover their shame with fig leaves. Sin causes all of us to live in shameful light. We hide, we deny, we cover, we excuse, we shift our blame, we rationalize, and we defend. That's one I'm guilty of. These are acts of internal brokenness by people who fear exposure. This week in Letters of the Church, we talked about gang, and how the church is supposed to one another. 
We should share deeply, be vulnerable with each other. But instead, we make fig leaves to cover our shame and insecurity or put on our masks so others won't see our eternal brokenness. Two, rebellion brings relational brokenness. Adam had the perfect marriage up until this point. Then he goes from writing poetry about her. I even used Adam's lines for my wife's Valentine's Day card. And I was romantic. Let's listen. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, I shall call her woman. Do you hear that? Yeah. I get every time. But he goes from poetry to blaming her and God for his sin. That woman you gave me. This is the first time in history one flesh was broken. God tells Eve in verse 16 that, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Motherhood would be painful. Marriage would be hard. Her desire would be contrary to her husband's, and rather than a one-flesh relationship, they would struggle with dominance in their marriage. We are formed for relationships. Aaron talked about this last week. God said, it isn't good for man to be alone, so he makes him a helper. Then after the fall, we deviate from one flesh to self-reliance, back to living a life of individualism, disconnected from others and from God. If God doesn't think it is good for man to be alone, then why is this our natural default setting? Because of rebellion in the garden, we turn our dependence from God to self. Self-sufficiency tells me that I have everything I need within me to be what I was created to be. The fact is that God is the only one who's self-sufficient. We were created for dependency, first on God and then on one another in community. We need to be taught, encouraged, warned, forgiven, healed, counseled, loved, rebuked, and delivered. None of these things we can do for ourselves. We need relationship. We need community. We need our gang. We believe we can do everything on our own, but it isn't what God intended for us. And if we rely on him and others, how much more better will our lives be if we share our lives, burdens, joys with others and with God? Three, rebellion brings brokenness in creation. God tells Adam in verse 17, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Rebellion brings broken creation. The ground is cursed. Thorns and thistles now grow. 
Work becomes hard. God created work in chapter 2, and it was meant to be enjoyable. But now, it's by the sweat of your face, until you return to the ground. The brokenness in our world is a result of rebellion. So when you were having a bad day at work, we can thank Adam for that. Four, rebellion brings broken relationships with God. Back up to verse 8. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the tree of the gar- trees of the garden. Creation looks at creator for the first time with fear. Innocence has been replaced by guilt and fear. Communion with the Lord of life has been broken. Adam and Eve are spiritually dead. Rebellion brings broken relationships with God, and the ultimate result of that broken relationship is death. He said in verse 19, You will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. But even in God's punishing Adam and Eve and driving them out of the garden, he promises reconciliation. Reconciliation. Look at verse 15. God is talking to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Some child of this woman would crush the head of the enemy, and in this, the serpent would deliver a blow that bruised his heel. That seed comes in the person of Jesus. We see this reading through the genealogies of the Old Testament. Someone is born, has these kids, dies. Someone is born, has kids, dies. Goes on and on. Don't worry, numbers is coming. Sometimes Old Testament genealogies can be boring to read, and the names are hard to say. But the family tree points to Jesus. These genealogies are evidence of God fulfilling the promise he made in the garden that the seed of the woman would crush the enemy. The first Adam failed at keeping God's command. And because of this, sin and death entered the world. But God, in his grace, gives the promise of a second Adam in Genesis 3.15. Let's look at Paul's word regarding this in the book of Romans. Go with me to Romans 5, 12 to 21. I believe it's on page 942, if you're using the Pew Bible. Just a guess. I still have turning, so... I want you to miss this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin entered, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam, 
who was the type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience there were many made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul tells, Christ, Paul tells Christ came to do what the first Adam should have done. Adam should have told the serpent, back off, I have dominion here. God has put me in charge of this garden. I trust God and I'm going to follow his good rule. He should have stomped the serpent's head, even if it would have cost him his own life. Adam should have protected the woman God made for him at any cost. And even after they ate the fruit and God came looking for them in the garden, Adam should have jumped in front of Eve and pleaded with God to take the punishment for both of them. Spare my bride. Take me, God. I will atone for her. He should have laid down his life for his bride, but instead... He blames her for his sin. This Adam was weak and passive. But Jesus became the second Adam. He, being fully God and fully man, was born in this broken world and lived a sinless life. He, too, was tempted by the enemy, like the first Adam. But he remained sinless. Then when the time had come, the second Adam, Jesus, gave his life on the cross for our sin. He sacrificed his life to crush the head of the serpent. His heel was bruised by the enemy. He took on sin and death for us, and he stepped between his father and his bride, the church, and said, I will atone for my bride. I will pay the price for her sin. Take me instead. This is the good news in our broken world. This is the gospel of Christ. Grace shatters our darkness. Grace explodes on us with penetrating, heart-exposing light. Grace illuminates our dank hallways and our dark corners. The 
The sun of grace shines the light of his grace into the darkest recesses of our heart. Not as an act of vengeance or punishment, but as a move of forgiving, transforming, and delivering grace. He dispels our self-efficientist darkness because he knows that we cannot grieve what we do not see. We cannot confess we do not grieve, and we cannot turn from what we have not confessed. The light has come. Run to the light. It is not to be feared. Yes, it is the light of exposure, but what will be exposed has already been covered by the blood of the one who exposes it. My pastor, Ted, loved this gospel, and he spent 43 years pastoring a church in western Kentucky, preaching this good news on Sunday mornings in the pulpit, in coffee shops, living rooms, hospitals, and really anywhere someone would listen to him. Pastor Ted, everyone called him PT, had one purpose in life, to know Jesus and to make him known. At his funeral, Rebecca, his daughter, shared a story about how they had gone out to eat when she was in seventh grade, and her dad used two menus to explain the gospel to her. I'm going to do the same for you. This menu is God's holiness, his perfection, and his justice. Because he is perfect in his justice, he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He must punish sin. Scripture tells us we all sin. We all fall short. We all deserve punishment for our rebellion against God. That's what we are witnessing here in the garden. This menu is also God. He is merciful, loving, and gracious. The God who punished Adam and Eve in the garden also made coverings for them out of animal skin and made a promise to them to send someone to crush the enemy. So how can God be both of these at the same time? The bridge between them is Jesus. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you believe this good news? The good news that you're a rebellious sinner facing punishment from a holy and just God, but because Jesus, the second Adam, stood in front of you and on your behalf bore your punishment so that you might have the righteousness of God in him. All you have to do is put your faith in Christ. I'm going to close with PT's favorite passage in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. If you're a believer, listen to these words and rejoice. Jesus has saved us, made us new, and will restore paradise again. His word says so, and he is faithful. And if you're not a believer, I pray that these God-breathed words would be enough to save you today. 
If you haven't been reconciled to Christ, if you haven't by grace put your faith in Jesus, I implore you, I urge you, don't get up from your seat until you do. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old hath passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, rebellion has cost us so much. We are broken on the inside. Our relationship with one another is broken. Creation is broken. And above all, our relationship with you is broken. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to reconcile that relationship. Thank you for the work done on the cross on my behalf. In the saving name of Jesus, amen.